comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jeremy Bai for another episode of the Righteous Blood Podcast. Tonight we're going to be talking about Jade Dagger Ninja, also known as Shaolin Fox Conspiracy. And um, I just want to say at the outset that I have a slight cough, so hopefully I won't be interrupting Jeremy too much, and I won't be getting sidetracked coughing too much, but if you hear me cough, it's it's a slightly unavoidable situation. Um, and so this movie, it's a little bit hard to encapsulate, but it basically is about uh, it's it's about a, a one woman's quest for revenge, and 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 against the backdrop of this uh, effort to acquire this special item called the what was it the purple jade badger was that the name of it that contains a special elixir, and so it's all kind of happening against the backdrop of. A marriage that I think just happened in the story, right? Was that the the marriage had just occurred, or was it about to occur? I think they're I think they're engaged. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they keep calling they the the subs the dubs keep saying referring to them as husband and wife, but I think it has yet to occur, and so it's sort of against the backdrop of a marriage, and it's got a lot of intrigue, a lot of violence, and I don't know a lot of it's it's got a lot of elements that are somewhat surprising. Um, and, and and we should say this one is available on Amazon Prime. It the the transfer is not the best quality. I think we can both agree on that. It, it looks like it, it looks like watching an old VHS tape, and it's also a really hacked up version of this movie. I have the Jade Dagger Ninja on DVD, which is longer. It's got less cut out from it. Unfortunately, my DVD player I was not able to get it to work this month. Uh, I'm having technical issues with my television, and so I I had to watch the the version they have on Amazon without referring to the other one but I do remember that one being longer and making a little bit more sense just because I mean there are scenes in this one where I think you notice they kind of really jump from one thing to the next um so this is a movie that we included in our list of films and if I recall one of the reasons why I thought that it deserved to be on there was because of just like the really the eccentric characters the romantic sort of not just the romantic plot but the fact that it's this really over-the-top melodramatic revenge that this this woman has been building for so many years and and it just leads to this this horrible catastrophe so it just has sort of a overall it's dark and i would say a very kind of adult wuxia movie like not not that it's like nc-17 or anything like that but the characters are all you know somewhat r-rated i would say uh so, so I don't know. I don't know if this was your first time or your second time or whatever watching it, Jeremy. What's your take on this movie? Well, it was my first time, so uh, I, I'm not sure if you mentioned it's called Jade Dagger Ninja, but also known as Shaolin Fox Conspiracy, and I think maybe some other names. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with Shaolin, just in case anybody out there is wondering. Uh, that I think is a result of a transliteration of one of the characters' names, um, and in any case. I really, really liked it. One interesting thing that I, I, I did a little bit of research and couldn't find too much information on this uh, in English. I went in uh, to the Chinese internet to look up some information about it. 
And based on what I dug up, it seems to me that the lead actor and the director were both uh, apparently friends with the Chinese wuxia novelist Gulong. Uh, so Gulong wrote a lot of novels and had a lot of movies and TV shows based on those novels, and he was one of the big inspirations for our game in terms of the like look, and not the look, but the feel and the atmosphere and whatnot. And many of the elements of the games come specifically from, uh, are specifically inspired by him. So I think that's an interesting connection there that these actors were, the actor and the director were so closely connected to him. And I really, really liked this movie, surprisingly. It was my first time that, as you mentioned, the quality on Amazon's not good. I didn't really like the, the dub. I know that there's a lot of people out there who, I guess, you know, grew up with this kind of uh, dubbed stuff and they're really a fan of it. I personally am not because I know it comes across as campy and kind of silly and people like that, but I just don't feel that that's how the dialogue is supposed to come across in Chinese. So I feel like there's a big cultural gap there in terms of, you know, it's just, it sounds different in Chinese. But in any case, I actually really liked it. I do have to say that for anybody listening that has not watched this movie, I would not put this in like my top 10 best wuxia movies of all time or even in like probably the top 30 or something i wouldn't say rush out and watch this as your introduction to wuxia yeah no i would i would support well what i would say is i would probably be in my top 30 but it wouldn't be it's not number one the the version that's available is not particularly well preserved and well framed and all that stuff but number two it's it's got a lot of rough edges to it it's 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 the kind of movie you appreciate after you've seen a lot of wuxia movies is, is yes, that is absolutely the case. One thing I noticed in Chinese, in the Chinese uh, information I found was somebody. This was in like the uh, Baidu Wiki article about it. So it's kind of like the Wikipedia, the Chinese Wikipedia, basically. Uh, and you could tell this was commentary, not like not like factual information. But the comment basically said the movie feels a lot like a Gulong novel. It's a whole bunch of like stuff that gets thrown together and is really complicated and kind of doesn't make sense, but is really cool and dramatic i think that's kind of like what it is it it does feel i feel like they were aiming for the gulong novel style thing where you have just dramatic twists and turns yeah. and reveals but there are maybe it's results of the dubbing perhaps i didn't watch it in chinese or whatever some of it just it kind of gets a little confusing and it, it's a little bit choppy but again in the end i really liked it and there's actually a lot of stuff in the movie that i think really directly correlates to the game and uh can i think that GMs and players could benefit a lot, uh, could learn a lot about the the atmosphere we're going for by watching this movie. And so, I guess, why don't we start by talking about that opening fight scene? Because I know you said that it kind of has a an impact. Uh, you know, what what was what was it about that 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 you thought was was interesting? Well, I think that one of the things that a lot of people recognize about uh, wushu movies and kung fu movies that they like are the you know, back and forth fight scenes. And that's especially something that you notice in Jin Yong novels. Uh, in Jin Yong novels, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, there's, you know, like the characters will have a, a, a style of martial arts with 27 moves, and then each move has like different variations. And then in the fight scenes, the enemy has, a, has their 36 move style, and then move number one will uh, correlate with move number three from the other guys. And then in the movies, it's kind of a similar thing. They're back and forth. But in this opening scene of Jade Dagger Ninja, it's like people are just dropping like flies, like, and they're dead, and they're dead. And so in our combat in the game, we uh, kind of lean toward that sort of really gritty, really 
lethal combat. And I, I felt like this opening scene was like exactly what we were going for with that. Yeah, that's you're talking about the fight scene in the forest too, right? Where people are just like, they're just... Yeah, it's like a guy pops up and then bam, his head flies off yeah. or something. I forget exactly what. But. No, yeah, it's, it, and it's also very stylistically done. Like the, the and that's one of the reasons why I wished we had a better transfer because I feel like it's it's hard to judge how well they nailed that because it looks kind of it looks like it's interesting, but it's clouded a little bit by the transfer. Yeah. Plus, the aspect ratio was messed up in the first couple of minutes on the Amazon version. Yeah. I think it's like really squished. I was I, when I first started watching it, I was like, oh my god, I, I, there's no way I can watch this whole movie i think it clears up after the first i don't know if it clears up or if we just got used to it after but i'll tell you i I, i'm pretty sure my version that's longer isn't really that much better in terms i think there's actually aspects to it that are worse if i remember but i think (laughs) i think i'm if i recall one of the key differences that i remember noticing you know the fight scene with the um with the monk with the monk spade and all those guys a lot of the dialogue, I think, was very different in the sub that was on the DVD, and it really changed how I saw that scene. Um, so that that would have been one benefit of getting the non-Amazon version into the mix here. Yeah, um, I know we're not... I, I try to refrain from going too much into the language aspect, but over the past several months, I've really been watching a lot of, of Wuxia stuff as we get closer and closer to the release of the game, and I've reached the point now where I'm I just can't watch it with the english dub and a lot of the stuff on amazon is only english dub so i'm trying to branch out and find the the chinese versions and i really feel like it does change the feel like like you pointed out i can really dramatically change how a scene comes across depending on how it's subtitled or how it's dubbed yeah no it does it does and i i I can still watch both and it depends on the movie like some movies i'm like i really want to know what they're saying but some movies i'm like i think it has to be dubbed because you have to feel to get a feeling that approximate what they're going for. I have to get something in English that is giving me that feeling. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it can depend, but also like there are just some movies where it's like, I saw them and that's how they were baked into me. Like if I see snake in the Eagle shadow and I don't watch it with the dub, it feels off to me. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just because it's, that's just how I, how I, how I first saw it. And there's like scenes that are really hammy from it. But I still find them charming because that's just, you know, I just remember those scenes so well. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. But, uh, but anyways, I guess another thing about this movie, too, that at least it's one of the big things I was thinking of was just the eccentric characters, but also how every character really wants something very specific in it. And so it's one of the things that makes the movie confusing. But it's also, if you were to translate that into a game, and these were like NPCs and PCs, it would be very manageable because you'd know, oh, this guy really, really wants this elixir. And this woman really, really wants to get revenge because this guy left her and married some other woman because this master wanted him to be nice to his daughter. And, you know, and so on and so on. This other guy wants revenge for his murder because his wife was murdered. The guy that wants the elixir killed his wife. So all these things are all kind of interconnected and mixed. And when we made all of our characters in Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades... We tried to make them like these networks. Like I was almost picturing these webs that connected them all. And it honestly got to the point where it was like it was legitimately hard to track. Like if we had lost anything because we had so many connecting threads. But that's what that's what really kind of leads to adventure. It's what makes them gameable. And, and that's something about this movie that I like is that 
I feel like I could take these characters and pop them into a game. Do you know what I mean? And that would work. Yeah. I remember when we, at a certain point, I, I remember, uh, I think leading up to our uh, original handoff, when we, when we handed off the game the first time, when I said, hey, why don't we add a section where we kind of like visually represent the different relationships between the characters and it just it was like no we can't it was too impossible here's what happened i sat down and tried to do that because i've done that for i used to do a lot of investigative adventure stuff and all that you always map out the clues and those can get pretty big like i'll have these giant nobody can see me but jeremy can see that i'm like you know holding my hands as far apart as i can you get this giant piece of paper with clues all over them i couldn't even get like a quarter of the information onto one of those for these carry it, was, it wasn't even close to a quarter um yeah. it, and it was Although, oh go ahead i was saying just uh, on the upside though uh what although we have something if i remember correctly something around like 50 npcs we did sort of like um break it down into small it's not as though every single yeah. it's not like a gigantic web more like a clusters it's clusters it's and it's almost like this movie would be one cluster and there might be another movie and perhaps connective tissue between that cluster and this one but fundamentally these are separate clusters that you can kind of you can keep track of them in that way Um, yeah and it's i think it's pretty easy for a gm to essentially say who do i want to be a big ally or a big enemy for my npcs pick a level you go to that character description and then you can kind of go to the allies and grudges and whatnot and kind of expand out and that's what i did for my recent campaign but anyway bringing it back around to the movie yeah i totally agree that this is a good example of how it's kind of supposed to go in the game i think maybe the reason i think maybe one of the reasons it comes across as a little bit um, confusing in terms of the plot is because of that i feel like it probably wasn't handled quite as well as it could have been yeah Um, this is a taiwanese production if i remember correctly so i think you're right I think you're right. Yeah, about so that. not coming from one of the big Hong Kong studios that seem to have kind of made a, a, a smoothly oiled machine of these kind of movies. So I don't know, maybe that had something to do with it. Well, and I think also like one of the things I was noticing, because I said to you last night, I was kind of having trouble tracking the plot this time for some reason. Maybe I was just tired, but like I've seen the movie plenty of times before and I didn't I didn't know why I was having so much trouble. But when I started just shifting focus to characters instead of plot, that made it easier. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, this guy wants this, and that's all I need to know in this scene. Do you know what I mean? And I don't, I don't need to give myself a constant recap of what, what the plot has been. And, and the movie makes a great deal of sense when you're just focused on what the characters want. Um, there, there are a couple of scenes that are a little bit... Uh, I don't know how to put it. Like in Wuxia, over-the-top things happen. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a... it's it, They're not... They they sort of get right up to that line, right where it would almost be ridiculous. And I think the the art is to not cross it too deeply. Do you know what I mean? But to to get there and and have some kind of emotive impact on the viewer, but also stun people so that they're like, oh, did that person really just do that? And there were a lot of moments like that in this movie. And again, the dub might have been part of what maybe pushed it even further over the line. But I was wondering what you thought of like the scene where the woman kills herself. The um, in this in this movie, I think her name is um, and I might mispronounce this is Sai Chuchu, I think. But she's the one that they just call the nymphomaniac a bunch of times. That's like, you know, they they, they call her that like 10 times to the movie. Um, but she ends up killing herself, which is I don't know. I thought that was kind of surprising. Number one, because, you know, they've just been calling her a nymphomaniac this whole time. So it seems like she doesn't have 
a deep enough emotional investment in the man that she kills herself over. But then when she does, it's like, oh, maybe, you know, there was more to this character than we were led to believe. Yeah, I, that was one of the parts I didn't particularly like, just because mm. I felt like it, it did seem odd, and it didn't make sense for the character. Like, she didn't, she came across to me as being borderline, like, sociopathic or something. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely, and I'm definitely. Like, why, like, she seems way too, too sociopathic to be killing herself over this guy, you know, yeah, but... It, Oh, go ahead. Another, go thing, ahead. I, another thing that kind of strained my um, suspension of disbelief was the actual nature of the of the item, which was like you know the purple, the was it the purple uh, badger or whatever, the ja- which uh, purple jade badger. Purple yeah, jade which badger. was it had an elixir, which I found to be really weird because that's like a one shot thing. Like if it if it regenerated the elixir, it would make sense to me, but it it was like. I don't know. I don't. I, that to me kind of came across as odd that there's going to be a consumable item that's so powerful that's just going to be sitting around for decades and decades. I don't know. It, it came across as kind of confusing to me when I found out okay. what it was, as opposed to something like from the, um, I mean, even the peacock dart from Magic Blade. At least it has like charges. You know, like yeah. ten charges you could use or something. This was just a one shot thing. I found it a little bit kind of odd that that was the item everybody I, see that, that See, I agree on the first one, but on that one, I kind of like that it was like this one-time usage elixir that people could... Because then that gives you reason to fight over it for real. Do you know what I mean? But uh, but on the on the woman killing herself, yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, So my feeling when I watch that scene is I'm always like, this is kind of like a missed opportunity. Like, this really could have been used well to enhance the character if they gave us more indications of what was going on underneath the surface with her so that it didn't just kind of wait a second. Did she just she, you know, like, like it, every time it happens, it just, it always feels like a surprise. And I think what they were going for was one of those, again, you have these scenes, especially in Gulong where a big dramatic display, like a, a classic example would be hero shed no tears where the dancer butterfly what was her name. Butterfly. Was that her name? She cuts off her leg and or, uh, yeah, she cuts off one of her legs, right? In the, or is it I think both? in the movie it's one, but in the book it's both. Okay, that's why I'm confused. So, but she cuts off a leg or two legs, and it, and when that happens, it's it it's it is borderline ridiculous, but it's also really moving the way she does it because there's a purpose to it. Do you know what I mean? And there's emotional reason that grounds it. And this felt like I don't believe that this was emotionally grounded in the way that the leg chopping was emotionally grounded. But I think that's what they were going for. Um, yeah, I think it was, and I think uh, you know who knows what what led to it. Whether it was well planned out or whether it was improvised in the script, I mean. But yeah, it definitely just didn't quite hit the beat that I that I think it probably should have. But I will say this: it does add a certain pizzazz or spice to the movie. Like it's not well done, but it it, it sort of it, it it contributes to the overall charm. Of the movie because there's these lo- these loose hanging rough threads in the in the film that that sort of make it what it is. Um, uh, but but on the elixir, I'm I'm a little more forgiving. I thought you were gonna say that what bothered you was that the elixir turned him into like the Hulk. That's the part <laughs> that I thought you were gonna object to. Because um, am I wrong or were they go was that them going for the Hulk? Because that felt yeah, very. I'm pretty sure that's what they were going for. Although he also reminds me of uh, what's the character from Street Fighter? Uh, the name's uh, the name is skipping my mind right now. But in, in Street Fighter, there's also the guy that like that turns into like a beast kind of thing. That he, he 
also comes across reminiscent of that. I, I know Street Fighter came many years later, but I, I I was okay with that actually. I mean, I think the I think the the effects and the costume were really hokey. If it was a little bit better in terms of the effects, it would have been a little better. But I, I'm generally kind of okay with that kind of stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I like it. I mean, it, this came out in '82, so I'm pretty sure that that was that that was like the uh, um, the '70s '80s Hulk that they were going for. Um, you know, like the Lou Ferrigno version. Yeah. Because um, he had, because because not only is he turned green, but he smashes the wall and it just, yeah. and I think it's even in slow motion when he smashes the wall. Like I, I could be remembering it, you know, creatively in my head, but it, it feels, it feels very Hulk-like to me. But I thought that worked because he, because I know what the Hulk is and then I, I, I know how much I'm supposed to fear this guy. Do you know what I mean? So... So since you watched it last night, it's actually been a few weeks for me. Um, we originally were going to do this a few weeks ago, and then you know life happened and so we couldn't. And I didn't get a chance to rewatch it again. I, so I'm, I'm kind of going, I'm kind of forgetting a little bit. Do you was his transformation the intended outcome of that elixir, or was that supposed to be like, oops, it, he didn't know that was going to happen, and it was sort of like a mistake? I don't know. I don't know if they really explicitly say because because this whole thing was he said. He said his kung fu was 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 drained or taken away, and that was supposed to restore it. So I was a little unclear on. Well, gee, is that's what he was like before? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did they like it? so? I I think like my vague impression was that I took it to be like it was um, not what he was intending it to happen. Okay, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I feel like I feel like it was a sort of like a fire deviation. In, okay. Or something along those lines. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 next time I watch, I'll pay more attention to that particular sequence and see. But yeah, I, I, I always just kind of never really worried about what whether he was expecting it to go that way or not. To be honest, <laughs> um, I, I just think it's a fabulous ending because you just get this this transformation of the villain who's already pretty intimidating even without all these powers, and then he, you know, just becomes this beast. So, so it really worked. Um, also, I guess another thing that uh, you had mentioned uh, was the the giving face even to enemies. Um, yeah, I thought that was that was I think especially in the what really struck me in one of the opening scenes was how basically they were having this you know gathering in the mansion, and then these guys showed up who were obviously like antagonists, yeah. but at the same time the host was still you know arranging rooms for them and whatever. Yeah. So we talk a lot about face in the in the game. And it's one of those things where the more you pay attention to it and the more you try to learn about it, the probably the more mystifying it becomes. Because it's not as though there's like some set of rules for how to do it that are like codified and written. But it's so important in Chinese culture that, you know, it's something that should be included in the games as much as possible. And this is a, one of those instances where, you know, giving faces is important, even if it's to somebody that you that you dislike or that you're an enemy with. Uh, and I, and I think that, you know, GM's throwing that into the, to the game can add a level of authenticity that is important and a little bit different from, you know, Western culture, at least. Yeah. I, th I think that was definitely present there and other parts of the movie. Um, it, it's also one of these things, that's one of these things in games, which can, I feel like it takes time for people, like people to, you know, it takes watching a whole bunch of movies and reading a whole bunch of books before it really even starts to feel comfortable, you know, or, you know, if you have, if people who have, who have the opportunity living in the 
you know, in a place like China, you know, but I mean, yeah. I'm assuming most Definitely. people aren't going to do that just to, to play a role playing game. But yeah, um, you can't just read in the book. Like it's important to um, emphasize matters of face and then it's like, all right, I will do that. And then it per comes across perfectly. Yeah. I definitely think that uh, immersing yourself as much as you can in the genre will it kind of like soak into you, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I think you even mentioned because you wrote the face section and you wrote the section on like is similar but different topic, but the naming conventions. And I think in one of them, you I'm pretty sure it's the face section. You had said like that. This is a simplification. Like this is a much more complicated topic than can be handled in just a section of a book. Sure. Um, and then on top of all of that, it's like, um, you know, everybody has their own personal interpretation of it. So I think uh, I've done I've done videos about this before. I think one of the most typical examples that I've talked about is how I was working at this school. And at the school, there would oftentimes be situations where a child was in the wrong level. In other words, they were, this is an English school, by the way, mm -hmm. you know, they would be, let's say level three or something, but they weren't good enough to be in level three, but they had kind of risen up through the ranks, level one, level two, level three with their friends, but they kind of fell behind and their English just wasn't good enough. And so because of that, they were they couldn't even perform in the class because their English wasn't good enough. So for the majority of parents, if you told them that and said, we suggest that your child, you know, drop back down to level two or maybe just wait in level three and do it again, the vast majority of them wouldn't do it because of face. They would okay. they and they would literally say that to the to the co-teacher or to me because I I would often interact with the parents in Chinese and they would be like, no way, we'll lose face in front of the other parents. My child will lose face uh, to the other children, so no. They would rather the kid be in the wrong level, unable to learn anything and not progressing, as opposed to lose face. But there would always be some small minority of parents who didn't care about that. Yeah. And then they would put their kid in the right level and the kid would do better. So again, like, you know, there's personal preference as well. What, some, what one person might consider to be a loss of face, another person might be able to ignore. So... Yeah, well, it's kind of complicated. I, I think that's like a, that's like any cultural thing. There's always like you know what I mean. You can generalize like okay, this is this is a very negative one for where I live. Um, but around here, there's a big no snitch culture. Do you know what I mean? That's like a big big thing here. But there's you know, it's not an across the board thing. There's obviously people yeah. that will 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 call the police about things and will snitch and all that. But it's you know it's a generalized kind of you know cultural thing. And so yeah. I, I think that I think that's. That's eventually, I think, where you want to get with any kind of cultural detail like that. If it's so ubiquitous and unmoving and inflexible, then it it's it's not going to feel like a real place. Do you know what I mean? Because so you are going to always want to have those exceptions. Just like there's you know there's like rules governing the Zhang Hu that people are supposed to kind of abide by, but then you always get these characters that just flagrantly violate them. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. or you get characters that have creative interpretations of of the of the rules or characters who violate like eight of the rules but like antagonize people for breaking one of the rules like limocho and return of condor heroes um you know where she's going around i think she i think she was i forget how what her what her particular thing was but i i think a bunch of the characters in the book teamed up on her and she you know and she had been going around killing people that were weaker than her and all these things and yeah. and she you know she went but then because these people teamed up on her she was going around writing a nasty message everywhere that she had been teamed up on by this th these people and who were you know this you know uh, 
part of this other person's sect type of thing, and they should all be ashamed of themselves. Um, yeah, this so, makes me think of yeah. I was the other day I was watching Kid with a Golden Arm. I think maybe we should we should talk about that one. That's an interesting movie. That's a very interesting yeah. And movie. there's this a, a, in that there's you know one guy who's super super focused on on essentially face and his mm-hmm. reputation and and then but then there's the other guy I would say the main character the constable guy who's almost like the opposite of that and that's mm-hmm. a really good like you know, uh, contrast between those two. But anyway, we're not talking about that movie. Maybe we no, can do that. But I, but I should, I, I will say that movie is a perfect uh, escort company yes. movie if people want an adventure like that, which we yeah, have. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe we should do that one next because that, that's, that's a real good one, except for the costumes. costumes you know what? I'm going to disagree with you strongly. I love the costumes. Uh, like, <laughs> like when I see the, the hair that looks like that and the, especially when they have like the chops on the sides and the, and the I don't know what you call it, but like the silk that's kind of shiny. Do you know what I mean? That like shiny silk. It's like seventies style and early eighties style. Like very, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's got there's a pageantry to it. That, okay. that I really well, like. let's save that discussion for for that movie because <laughs> okay. I have a lot to say about that. All right. So so why don't we um, do we want to talk about alcohol usage or have we covered that enough in other videos? I think we have. I just did, I did notice um, in this one that it, that it was. It came up a lot, and I like that. It doesn't come up in every single Wushu movie, so uh, there are some movies which are, are better, and I think this was a good one. There's not, not any need to really go into any detail, well, but it's something to look out for for anybody that's watching it. Maybe we should talk about poison now, because it is linked to the drinking of the alcohol, and there's a very, very clever poisoning scene in this movie, uh, where, which also ties in with the whole thing about romance and heartbreak and like really exaggerated degrees of heartbrokenness that you said like you like we saw it in killer clans with the character who was pining for the daughter of the sect leader and he was just a mess and in this movie the guy who was the lead in that film who was basically kind of trying to get that guy up off his feet is now this same type of character with a disheveled hair and i think his name is um heartbroken flute or heartbreak flute something like that and he and and he he you know he He's a he's a top fighter, but he's in love with this woman who's the woman that's scheming for revenge. I think it's uh, Lady Shang was her name in this, and and uh, you know he she, I I think if I recall the details, she had told him that if he brings her the the uh, the purple jade badger, that that uh, that he'd actually be able to see her again because he hasn't been able to see her in like fifteen years. So the impression you get is that. She's been kind of stringing him along for a very long time, and he he is much more emotionally invested in this relationship than she is. Um, and so uh, they sit down, and she offers she she puts two cups on the table, one in front of her, one in front of him, and and he hesitates to drink them because he knows her nature. And she says, "Oh, you still are suspicious of me." And she says, "Very well. Would you do you want to switch cups then?" And so he. He, you know, she, they switch cups. She drinks his cup. He drinks her. And what she had done was poison the cup in front of herself, anticipating that he was going to, you know, and it's kind of, it's almost like, uh, the princess bride is a scene like that. That's comedic. It's a little bit like that, where she's so in this guy's head that she anticipated that he would hesitate. And then that she could swap the drinks that way. And then she's able to put the blame on him. She's like, this wouldn't have happened to you if you had trusted me. So it's a really venomous, venomous scene. I really like it. Um, yeah, I had put that on my list of things to talk about because uh, poison is such a big thing in in uh, Wushu novels, and we included it in the game. 
And then, yeah, combining it with that whole uh, melodrama and romantic melodrama thing that you were talking about, it's just such a genre trope that comes up so often that I think that, you know, you kind of, kind of, I wouldn't put it on my list of, of like, uh, it has to be present for something to be Usha, but it's definitely one of the top genre tropes for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's, it's a flavor that comes up an awful lot. And also, it's it's important that it happens with her character because she is the one who is heartbroken and enacting this big revenge scheme against um, the, the head of the villa and, you know, the daughter and all that stuff. So um, it kind of gives yeah, you a... Is, oh, go ahead. I, th I think poison is something that... Is, I The way it's used from what I've seen in the movies and novels, it really just changes from author to author and, you know, story to story. And how it is handled is going to be definitely up to the GM because on the one hand, you would think that like if you're if you're kind of taking a step back and objectively thinking about it, if you were really a person in Jiang who kind of going around, I mean, whether you're going around to you know at a random inn and eating food or whether you're meeting with somebody or whatever, you would think that you would be constantly thinking about and worried about being poisoned. But in the movies and in the novels, it all the time happens where people just go around, they'll drink something, and all of a sudden they're poisoned. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, wouldn't you at least be kind of concerned about that? I was just watching, uh, I think, Heaven's Sword Dragon Saber. Uh, and I can't remember if, the, if this is. We watched the movie the or the series? Uh, the movie. The, 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 the 1978 movie, I want to say. Oh, the, the one with Derek E. in it and um, like the Shaw Brothers one? Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a scene there, and, I, and I, like I said, I can't remember if it's from the novel. It's been a long time since I read the novel. But basically, there's a part where like all the good guys get poisoned. At an end yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. and I was like, "Man, you guys, you, aren't you at least like, wouldn't you check or something?" Like, I'm, wow, I'm pretty sure that is in the novel. I'm pretty sure, the, uh, but uh, if not, it's in like every movie and every series that I've seen as yeah. well. So it's one of those. So confusing... we were just talking about this before starting the record. I, I'm doing a session right now, uh, Reich's Blood, Ruthless Blades, and I actually it created a little poison checker device for my guys because they're they're playing agents of one of the uh they're secret government agents basically and i'm just, and they're going up against uh the black cloud cult which is uh our sort of shadowy mysterious uh, group that we have in the book that is so mysterious we don't even include much information about yeah. it uh, and they're, they're famous for poison so i figure if, if i have secret agents working for the government going up against a poison cult you would think they would at least have some way to check for poison and in any case, it's something I've thought a lot about, and you know, whether it's again personal interactions with with uh, antagonists or just randomly going around traveling, I really feel like that poison thing is something the characters would be thinking about a lot. Yeah, I I uh, I agree, and I, and I think you had mentioned to me you got that 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 poison detection concept from the Fatal Lee Khan was um, so it's kind of it's grounded in something legit too, which is cool. Um, but uh yeah. but yeah so what about um uh misunderstandings you had mentioned also was another thing that you wanted to mention right we talk about that i believe we've, we've talked about this before but this was something that came up in the movie a lot especially in the beginning where you have the fiance and the 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 you know wandering hero sort of and the hero is is talking with the the young woman and they're interacting a lot in the first opening, maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes or so. 
and then the, then her fiance, the young guy, keeps like like stumbling upon them talking to each other. Oh making, yeah, yeah. There's no sort of romantic thing going on between them, but he keeps thinking, oh, you you know, you're after my girl or whatever, and, and that really drives the the plot to to a large extent for the early parts of the movie. Yeah. No, that I thought that was good. I also thought it was interesting how they they almost fake you out with misunderstandings when the when the 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 lead uh, what's the guy's name is it Lou Governor Lou the the head of the villa he um he he's about to explain to Lady Shang you know well I want I want you to understand exactly what happened and you think it's going to be one of these wuxia moments where this really convoluted series of things happens that yeah of course like you know he never meant to betray you he always was hundred but it was like no it was he. He 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 was he was helped by this master who then asked him to marry his daughter and he kind of just went along with it. So it wasn't like, a, you know, the, for 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 Lady Shang, it was an entirely unacceptable explanation. There was no it wasn't a misunderstanding that, you know, that that tragically led them to not be lovers anymore. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too, because even when I see it again, I'm always kind of thinking it's going to be a big misunderstanding explanation like you get and yeah and it was i think the misunderstanding trope is a great tool for the the gm toolbox for usha because i mean just in some ways it actually gets pushed it gets pushed to unrealistic levels a lot of times Mm -hmm. to where whether it's in movies or books you'll have like you know you'll have some kind of misunderstanding and you kind of just want to say why don't you just take 15 seconds to explain <laughs> yeah. but instead for the entire movie you know all these dramatic things murders and death and everything's happening and all someone has to do all someone has to do is say no i wasn't i didn't you know do that i think it's i think a but, lot of it is pride and like all these other, but like i what i what i like about it is it, it's definitely often taken to very extreme degrees uh and very over the top but it's also one of the most relatable aspects of wuxia because everybody has that thing in like their family say where like your uncle's like, Oh, well actually 20 years ago, this, this happened. And that's why this person is always behaving this way. Or the, I mean, you kind of get these backstories that are, you know, w- where there's either a misunderstanding or just a, 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 a valid reason for a person being the way they are that, you know, make, make just makes them make more sense. And so, um, you know, I, 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 you know, we're kind of lumping two concepts here together, I suppose, but I always call it that 20 year backstory that you see in Wuxia where there's some secret that like all of the, like the senior generation usually seem to know, but none of the younger generation really know. And so they just think, Oh, that guy's just the angry old man that we all hate. Do you mean, but there's a, but there's like, but no, there's like this deep, deep, like emotional thing that happened to him that, that sent him on this dark path. And, you know, and, and he was just trying to be a good guy and it all went wrong for some reason. So, um, and also being misunderstood is just a universal thing, I think. So it, 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 it really, I think it really works. Um, especially in a setting where face is important and you have, you know what I mean? You have all these other elements that help reinforce, you know, the, the emotions of, of feeling misunderstood. So, um, yeah. And it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, something that can easily lead to great conflict and stories in in the game when you know all it takes is somebody accusing the the main characters of stealing something and you know it doesn't matter if they say no we didn't 
all that person has to do is say they stole this and then you know call out to this person they stole this and then this other person says they stole it and before you know it you have a big a big uh, conflict going on and it might be completely wrong but you know the people involved don't know that and it's also a great way to kind of flesh out npcs like you can plant these you know these details into an npc background and it'll make them a little more interesting as the players learn more about them um so so all right so okay, another thing uh, combat quips uh you know <laughs> so yeah I, that's that was one thing that jumped out to me and i, I know this is a this is a, a probably to a large extent a movie trope but uh on the other hand you see it in fight scenes and novels as well as well it's kind of like i feel like it's the spider-man effect where it's like you know he's punching and as he's punching he's like making a 15 second like <laughs> joke or something along those lines um or another good example I, i'm gonna veer off track here i was just talking with a friend recently and they they mentioned um monkey island i don't know if you ever played that game there's a game called oh yeah monkey i remember island. that game that's and that's... That, it had a whole literal part where the the actual mechanic of the sword fighting was insulting each other and then yeah. trying to have comebacks to the insults so i'm not suggesting to add that but it, it, it really reminds me of that and i think that adding a little bit of dialogue within the fight scenes could make a pretty unique sort of wuxia experience for the game and be very realistic yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think I think that that's like a. Uh, it's one of the, the the charming elements of the movie is the combat quips, um, and some of them are pretty spicy. Do you know what I mean? Like like these. And again, I don't know how much of that is the dubs because I remember I do remember the sub having a different vibe at times. But, sure. Yeah. But, but you know, there's like definitely like you know like the whole thing when he's fighting like again the monk spade guy the the monk where uh, you know there's just a, there's like a really colorful exchange between the two characters. Um, yes. So, and, uh, and we, oh, go ahead. Although we did, uh, our, so we have a one of the ways that that could be incorporated. I mean, specifically within the mechanics of the game, is we do have that talking and analysis phase yeah. is supposed to, generally speaking, come before combat, and that's a good place where you could incorporate a little bit of back and forth dialogue and actually have give it mechanical weight yeah. in the combat. Yep, and I suppose on I suppose you could, you know, you could riff off of that and have quipping occur where people are getting, you know what I mean? Like if people are sufficiently clever, maybe they're getting bonuses for quipping. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I had to think about that, but I think that's a feasible thing. It would be something, it would be something cool yeah. to think about. Um, now betrayal that happens a lot in this movie. Betrayal is a, you know, I, I think the most heartbreaking betrayal for me is lady Shang getting, getting stabbed in the back the way she gets, gets killed. I don't know why I just feel bad. I feel bad for her at that point in the movie. I don't know why I just have a, I, 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 even though she's kind of ridiculous and over the top and and really cruel and 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 and, and mean, she, I think it's because the actress who played her did a really good job of conveying that character's feelings, and so I just felt bad when she got betrayed. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a sign of a good betrayal, uh, and it kind of goes along the lines with something else I had in my notes, was, which was the uh, shifting loyalties, kind of similar similar things, yeah. and. We we actually talk about that in the game master section of the book. I think you were the one that wrote that section originally um, about shifting loyalties and how that can can be used to the advantage of the well, just the game in general and how it's definitely a big trope of the genre. Yeah, well, it's important too because and it's a genre where you have people of different power scales and 
if you're fighting somebody that's more powerful, shifting the alliance in your favor really, you know, that's a that's a valid tactic to use to overcome the bad guy. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's 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 just sort of it's almost a necessity just by the nature of the genre, I think. I think that's why you see it so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it, 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 the classic thing is like the two heroes show up to fight the villain and then the, the alliance between the heroes is called into question by something the villain says, right? Like, and in some movies it works in some movies it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the whole, uh, last hurrah for chivalry. That movie hangs on the question of whether that's what's going to happen or not. Right. So, sure. um, and I think one of the interesting things about Wuxia is that, uh, I mean, there's a Chinese, uh, we talk a bit about Chinese culture in the book, not too much because it's such a big topic, but Chinese culture is just such a, a complex thing. And it's so very different from Western culture. And, and that comes across in Wuxia a lot. I think that pe for people like, like you who don't necessarily speak the language and have not really been part of the culture, you have, have, watched so much of the content that you kind of absorbed the way of thinking. But one of the things that I've noticed, I have a video that I did recently on my YouTube channel talking about when Western writers do Usha and the, some of the problems I notice. And, and one of the biggest problems is just how, it, to me, a lot of times it comes across as just not being Chinese because the people act Western. And you'll see when you watch these movies, they do act differently. And it's not I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when I first was introduced to the genre and started reading, you know, back, this is back in, you know, the early 2000s. I originally was a mute. I, I originally thought it was funny the way that they acted. And I thought it was silly. Like, this is not realistic. Yeah. But it actually is pretty realistic in terms of how, the way the characters handle all of these things, face and betrayal and, and whatnot, how it seems so, so melodramatic and, and, and whatnot. And I guess the whole point of what I'm trying to say is just that um, it's just different from Western culture. And so, you know, uh, coming at the, the righteousness and loyalty thing, the, the righteousness, the loyalty, keeping one's word, honor, you might say, are definitely things that exist in Chinese culture, but they're, they're, they're different from uh, Western culture versions. I, I talk about this also in a video I did recently talking about the movie... Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the sequel, uh, mm. J uh, Sword of Destiny or whatever it is, which was written, the screenplay was written by a Western guy, and I just hated that movie with a passion, and I go over some of the details in that video. One of the big reasons is because I feel like he tried to, he tried to make a Jianghu Wuxia um, world into something that's a lot more akin to like the Western world or even Japanese like Bushido samurai stuff, mm -hmm. but it's just not that. And so, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of going around in a big circle here. You were talking about um, the, uh, essentially like people uh, keeping their word or betraying or whatever. It's just really different. Even the, even the righteous heroes of the Wuxia world, of the Wuxia genre, even the righteous good guys aren't necessarily going to have this belief that keeping their word is like the most important thing in the world. I mean, there are going to be people like that. There will be, you know, the righteous good guys who are like, I gave my word about this and I'm not going to go back even if I die. That does exist. Mm -hmm. But that's not like the expected behavior for everybody necessarily. Okay. Okay. Well, I think... in, my, in my opinion, it is. And that's especially the, true in the case of movies like this, because this movie is very much in the vein of Gulong's 
Jiang Hu, and as we talk about in the book, there are different Jiang Hu's, and in Jin Yong's Jiang Hu, it's very different than Gulong's, and Gulong is a lot more eccentric, quasi-villainous heroes, perhaps you could say, mm-hmm. a lot less, a lot more, a lot more like morally gray, ambiguous territory than a black and white good and bad kind. I mean, this is, I suppose it's a little bit off topic, but it is an interesting one, because we're talking about these these cultural features that like every place has, but they're different in different places, basically. Right. And so, you know, like, you know, in America, you'll find certain ones in England in China, you'll find different ones. Uh, and there might be the same thing, but it's expressed differently or whatever. So, uh, but correct me if I'm wrong. We, you know, we, we often talk about how there are different Zhang Hu's. That's what both of us have commented on, but would you say that like, that even things like the way that face operate, are sometimes tackled differently by different authors in the way that, do you know what I mean? Like, like, I guess the comparison I'm trying to make in my head is if you look at like Coppola's mafia world versus, um, Scorsese's mafia world, they're different. Do you know what I mean? Even though they're both Italian, they're both from basically the same place in America, but they, they have totally different takes on, on how honor works in the mafia and, and all that stuff. Um, and so I'm just, you know, do you feel similar in, in, uh, yeah, I, in I mean, novels? I think I do. Yeah, definitely. And I think a, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, I, I haven't put a huge amount of deep thought into this, um, but I wouldn't be surprised, um, if, you know, different authors will explore different aspects. I mean, I think possibly one of the, the most typical examples is Jin Yong's final book, Dear in the Cauldron, after an entire career of essentially, um, writing about, you know, heroic, heroic, um, well, heroes, basically. His final character was an anti-hero, or if, if not an anti-hero, at least a rogue and a scoundrel who never learns martial arts and doesn't follow the rules and does everything that they're not supposed to do. So individual authors can obviously handle it different ways, and I think you're definitely going to um, find variances in those things. But there are some things that come across as being just incorrect. I don't okay. want to say incorrect. I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like just one way you have to do it. But there are definitely some things that come across as sounding wrong. Yeah. I guess I'll go I'll go that to that link and say wrong in the Wuxia setting even though there are variances within. Well, like it would be like okay, like I wouldn't say that like The Godfather or Goodfellas. I, those are both acceptable informed opinions about the mafia, but then when you get to like what was it, Preetzi's Honor, and you have Jack Nicholson playing that character, it gets, you know what I mean? Like, there's a, you know, that that might hit the same territory you're talking about, where you're saying this doesn't feel Chinese, do you know what I mean? Like, or this doesn't feel authentic to this thing yeah. I'm talking about that exists in China. Yeah, um, sorry, I got a helicopter going overhead, I think. Oh, that's all right. And, and I guess in the end, what I think really matters in the very end is, the enjoyment of the game for the GM and the players. So in the end, if the players are having fun and the GM is having fun, then in, that's what cool. matters. It doesn't matter if it's a little bit, you know, quote unquote, inauthentic. But for the for those groups that are trying to aim for more authenticity, then I think probably the best thing to do is just consume as much content as possible to kind of have it percolating in your mind. Well, I think the thing to keep in mind too is you don't get there. Like there was a time before you new Chinese and before, and, and before I had seen all these wuxia movies or whatever. Right. So like, I think I, you know, or before I like, you know, I had read as much on the subject or before you had read as much on the subject. I think, um, you have to have the thing that piques your interest in it in the first place. And often when you're first 
you know, maybe running your first game. Like my first, you know, Chinese inspired campaign was not at all, you know, close to authentic. It was, you know, it was, it was based on a hodgepodge of movies and all these things. Um, but it, once you get that interest, that will lead you to read books, to watch movies and, and slowly images will start to take shape in your head of how to, how to yeah. do this. It's, it, I mean, I still remember when I was calling it Wuxia cause I, yeah. I didn't know how to pronounce it. And then, uh, I, I mentioned in that video about Western writers doing Wuxia. I think I mentioned in the video, maybe it's in the comments cause there was a lot of comments on that video. I wrote a Wuxia story probably, I want to say it was in, it must've been 2000 and probably 2001, 2002, something along those lines. It was a couple of years after Crouching Tiger came out. I had read a fair amount of, of translated fiction. I, a, a little bit, I should I say. I can't believe that's 20 watched. years ago. That's like shocking that you I just know, put that is, into context really for weird, me. weird, huh? Um, um, but in any case, I wrote a short story, a Wuxia short story that I, like, I was so proud of it. Going back to read it now, man, it's pretty bad. And it has so many of the genre tropes that are wrong. I, and I think I do the, the thing I was just complaining about right now in terms of that honor and stuff. I think I handled that totally wrong. And I, so I could yeah. probably beat that level of embarrassment. When I first got into martial arts, I was in college and I was taking dance. I took a dance class and we had to choreograph our own dance. And, um, and I was just sort of absorbing all these, you know, I, I had very thin you know surface level understanding all these things and i it was just awful the it was I, ba I made a dance that was based entirely on really flimsy martial arts concepts and all that and it, it was it was really really deeply embarrassing um well i might but... even be able to to one-up that because um when i went back so i i graduated high school and i went right into the family business and then later i went back to college so this would have been i guess around 2004 or 5 or mm -hmm. something like that and i was studying um, I, I studied animation and okay. so to study animation you have to take like acting classes and whatnot uh, so one of the acting classes we took uh, the assignment was we were in groups and we had to do a retelling of Wizard of Oz and so our group did a um, Hong Kong action movie retelling of the Wizard of Oz okay. with a Shaolin monk and we had like a John Woo uh, like gunslinger and then what we did was we actually pre-recorded all of the dialogue and then did a bad uh lip syncing to emulate um the english dubbing in movies and whatnot and so i i think that in the end that, that i don't have a recording of that and i'm probably pretty glad that i don't because that would probably That's came across as really really bad uh, yeah that, that is that is that is definitely i i don't know I, i'd have to I'd, i think we'd have to see them side by side to really know like mine had like animal style martial arts do you know what i mean and like each person represented a different animal type thing so it was it, it was pretty bad and and i don't think i really understood you know like what each of the styles were at that point you know what I, mean? I was doing taekwondo they don't really do animal styles in taekwondo so i was just you know bringing in stuff i had seen from jackie chan movies and whatever you know um <laughs> if i remember i think i think one part of our little reenactment we had i bought like a rubber heart and we had somebody rip the heart out of one of the bad guys that's actually kind of inventive though that's at least, that's a little inventive i think that's um you know but 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 i think the point is like you, you gotta start somewhere do you know what i mean so people shouldn't feel embarrassed because they just yeah, got into exactly. something do you know what i mean and i think that yeah. 
Um, and obviously we try to give people as many of the tools as we can in this book, but there's only so much you can learn from a, from a rule book. Uh, you have to, you have to kind of internalize some of this stuff and you have to, you have to kind of go through this process of like, you get like 10% of the information and then you think, you know, a lot more than you really do. And then you realize, oh my God, there's so much more that I don't know. You know what I mean? And, and then you kind of get to a point where you're sort of still always learning about it, you know? So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, even even I experienced that. I'm not going to specifically say what it was, but there was a there was a point in the the manual that I had written a cultural thing that I wrote kind of early on, and then as as I, as I was going back, many I mean, it must have been a year and a half later, I suppose. I realized I basically was kind of had made a mistake in my mm-hmm. in my perception, and I had to cha- I changed it the last minute. But I mean, I think that. It, whether it's Chinese culture or any other culture or thing like that that you're that you're coming at it from the perspective of an outsider, you're you're going to be learning about it for your whole life. Basically. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so. I think even from the inside, you're learning from things your whole life too. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, like there are things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's true. there's things in like my own like, you know, I'm from Boston. I think I know everything about Boston. Every day I'm learning. Like, oh, that's where that town is, or oh, that's where you know. There's like, you know, yeah. the cultural well, details. It's funny like, because you know. Um, not that I claim to be an expert in wuxia or anything, I definitely don't. But one thing I've experienced many, many times is that I'll be talking with friends in China, or whether maybe even my wife or family members, and there's so much stuff I know about wuxia or the other genres like Sanjia Suan Huan that they have no idea about. And there's even yeah. historical, cultural things that I'm aware of because of that that average Chinese people don't know about. But, that, just they're but that's because you became a, a wuxia nerd and most people probably aren't wuxia nerds over there, yeah. right? So like, like that's kind of like, like I've met people, like I used to work in Thai restaurants and stuff like that. And sometimes I would meet somebody who's like, say, really into a particular style of music or a band and they would know way more about it than I did just because, yeah. you know, they were super into it. Um, or they would know guitar and like know like all these like, you know, like American bands that I just had never heard of. So I think... Um, I think I think that's just you know uh, when you're super into something, you know, you're super into it. Do you know I mean that, yeah. that's uh, and 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 so um, so yeah, I don't know, but but I, I again, I think I think the thing that matters is for people to like just just be patient with themselves and enjoy it, not not feel like they have to be the expert in the room on yep. day one or ever have to be. And I don't I don't think you ever really have to feel like you're the expert in the room. I think you. I think I think the more that you're not like I think a lot of times ego gets in the way of enjoying these things. Do you know what I mean? So like if you just kind of you know just enjoy it and understand that you know you you're learning um, exactly you'll have more fun. Um, so there's one other thing I had on my list of notes that I wanted to mention because this is actually something that you and I had kind of gone back and forth about in terms of how to handle it. Uh, mechanically in the rules. Oh yeah, I, that I know was you're dying. Going. Yeah, and, I, and it, it, it was a perfect situation in this movie where, and again, uh, uh, sorry, but it's been a few weeks since I saw it. Who was it that had the the dying speech in the movie? Was it uh, the woman or was it the I forget who it was. The, well, the woman when she commits suicide, she gives a big speech. Yeah. Yeah, and it, so we had I mean, talked about that. It's kind. Of, it, it would have been moving too if it had connected to anything earlier in the film. <laughs> because you, you know but what's what's really cold here's here's what's kind of beautiful about it is the guy is totally unmoved by what just happens she does she commits suicide she gives this big speech 
And he just kind of puts her on the ground and then turns to the other characters and says, like, hey, what's up? Do you, it, it's very... It's it, it doesn't say hey what's up but you might as well have it, it 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 it's almost like wait a second I felt bad for her I was like oh my god this poor woman just died in his arms and he could care less he's got like no but she gives a speech about um I forget exactly what she says but I think she ends it with that she can like at least die in his arms that was sort of her her thing so you know she was content in some way uh yeah but but yeah that's so we, go ahead in the go. rules. In the rules, we we do get kind of specific about what happens when when you're dying. But um, we had one thing that is unclear. Well, it was originally unclear, and then we added a slight uh, a slight clarification, which is whether or not a character is unconscious when they are dying. And yes. we, I think we like many things in the book, is it's supposed to be rules light. We didn't include like little rules for everything. Yep. And this one, it's basically up to a uh, GM decision as to whether a dying person is conscious or not. But if they are conscious, then that could be a good opportunity for a good, like, dying speech, basically. Yeah, yeah one of my things, I kind of like lack of clarity in rules, people might have noticed. So, like, that's like a, that was kind of an always, it was always kind of a balance of, is this too unclear? Do we need to yeah. have a, and so that was one where we tried to add a little bit of clarity just so it wasn't so unclear. But, um, and it's because I like the idea of you just never know, like there's always edge cases. And so I like when you, when you don't have that, that clear, like I'll give you a perfect example of a system where I think clarity, there was too much clarity in this respect and that it would affect edge cases. It's a trade off. So I think the system did what it did because that's the kind of system it was. But in third, sorry, third edition D and D had that where there was a kind of like a, there was clarity around everything. But what that would mean is that there would be edge cases where it didn't always feel like that's what should be happening. So, um, so I like having a lack of clarity. But here, I think we probably needed that little extra bit of d definition around it. Um, but it's still very open. It's still very, you know, you can you could have a scene like this in the game very easily. So, so I like that. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I know, uh, you know, we're, we're right at the hour mark and I think we've covered almost everything. So is there anything else we want to say about this movie before we, not we that I can think of other than it's definitely one to put on the list of, uh, ones for probably more experienced Wuxia connoisseurs after you've gone through some of the more classic and well-known titles yeah. but i will say this among busha fans and among kung fu movie fans this movie is known so like if you want like if you want like credibility in like you know you know the, the, the really nerdy you know circles online that you know where people just talk about these movies that's that's it's definitely a good one to have under your belt um you know it'll 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 uh it'll it'll pay dividends for you um you know they they uh and it also, I think, I feel like this movie gets a certain amount of respect for some reason in that crowd. So, um, but but it, the other reason why I think it's a it's it's a, it's a, it's a good one to watch is it, it it's a very gameable movie. I think I think I think regardless of you know uh, where it stands in terms of quality and all that stuff, I think the the it, it's one of these movies that you if you like. 
some movies you watch and it's like, how do I turn this into an adventure? How do I do this? Some movies you watch and you get like five adventure ideas. And this one is more in the, I get five adventure ideas watching this movie. So, yeah, so it's good, it's good for that. Um, and, uh, and so it's illustrative of how to do a wuxia campaign. If you really, you know, uh, are looking for that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, so the game is apparently was it coming out in December now? Is that the uh, is that the anticipated? So I think the current one on Amazon is the eighth, and I think that um, if I understand correctly, Osprey will have it on their website before then. So I'm pretty sure they'll have it released sometime in November. But don't take that's not that's not canon. But based on what I understand, I think they they put it on their website a couple weeks before the larger release. Okay, all right, and definitely check out the game like people we should probably be saying that at the beginning of these episodes rather than the very very end but you should you should look up you know check out the game pre-order it i think this is a really good you know good product i think number one you know we don't we don't we don't really sell this game a lot so i want to kind of do that now like jeremy brings in a lot of expertise that is like that made this so much better and you know i was able to bring in like because I had done Ogregate for so long, I had learned from a lot of mistakes. And, you know, like I had learned what worked and what didn't. And so by the time we had this, you know, this core system that we started developing, it was it was already with that in mind of like, okay, this these are the things that, that I know we need to avoid. And then it's it's it, it, it really came out, uh, I think, like there was a force multiplier effect of us both working together that raised this to another level. Um and I think that uh, it's just a really slick, streamlined Wusha game. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I think that you can. Uh, it runs smooth and fast. It's not. It's not cumbersome, but it's got a. It's got a lot of. It's it's got a lot of material that fits to the genre. So it's not. It's not like so bare bones that you're 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 struggling to make a character from a movie you saw. So, uh, but it doesn't overwhelm you, which was the problem that I would occasionally run into with Ogre Gate where there's a lot to track and there's a lot of moving parts. And we, we were able to bring that down to, I think the level it needs to be where it's still interesting, but it's not overwhelming. So, yeah, I, I agree. We probably ought to do this part in the beginning going forward. <laughs> Cause uh, it's, but yeah, there's so much stuff that is good about the game. And whenever I go into the, you know, we have the draft um, PDF version, and uh, whenever I go in and start reading, I, I oftentimes just get sucked in and start reading it and forget that I'm supposed to be doing something else, yeah. uh, especially those character networks. It's like you you could almost buy this uh, book just to read through the NPCs, and it would be fun to yeah. go through all the different interactions and whatnot. Another thing I probably ought to be mentioning, I, I should mention this as well, is on my personal website, which is jeremybuy.com, I actually have um, all of the uh, movies that we recommend in the novel or in the book, um, and I have links to all of the ones that are on Prime. I have links to all the DVDs, Blu-rays. I have links to all of the books that we recommend as well. So if you're, you know, wanting to kind of get a, a look at all the different stuff beyond what we've talked about in the podcast or any of the movies we do talk about in the podcast just go to jeremyby.com and there's a, a righteous blood section and then you just click on the the movie and book re- recommendations and you can get links to everything so yeah no that's definitely like that the, that thing with the links is really useful uh, i definitely recommend checking that out and people can check out my blog the bedrock blog i got i have uh 
you know, I, I post about stuff. I'll, I'll post about other things, but I, I do occasionally post about this as well. And I, I often have Wusha related things up there. Um, you know, obviously neither of us are salespeople. So we, you know, this is, you know, we put it at the end of the podcast rather than the front. That's like, that was my big problem when I used to do Wusha weekend, we had a Patreon and I always always mentioned it at the end rather than the beginning, which is, yeah. you know, just terrible for, for actually getting, you know, patrons. So, um, well, next time, next time we'll leave with it. How about that? Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do it at the very beginning. Uh, so, you know what, we should probably do an episode where we just kind of talk about the game at some point so that we're kind of focused on it. Uh, so anyways, uh, we're going to head out and, uh, I think, I don't know what movie we're going to do next, but I, 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 uh, I, I know we have a list of movies that we're going down, so we'll come back with another film and until then we will talk with you later. With the laughter comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead or insane as you stumble through the night through the anguish and the pain with the soft taste of blood?